Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Hey, it's Kevin. I want to welcome you to episode 159 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Hey, we're doing something a little bit different during the month of August. If you haven't heard episode 157 yet, I highly encourage you to go back and give that episode a listen. We're talking about going all in on this extraordinary life or this extraordinary life, and that's what we're doing. It's what we're spending the month of August doing is reformatting, retooling the podcast for a fresh launch under this Extraordinary Life podcast coming in September. So during the month of August, we're recycling, replaying four unique episodes of the podcast. These may not be the most downloaded. That's not what we're picking them for. Why we picked the episodes we're picking is for the impact they had on me as a host and for how they shaped me in this journey that led me to go all in on this extraordinary life. So today's episode is replay of my first conversation with Jane Adshead Grant. Jane has become a dear friend during the past year. She's actually what we would consider a fellow of this extraordinary life. She joined us there during the month of June and led our Waymaking series. But this conversation, why we're featuring this, you'll hear it up front, but this conversation happened 10 months ago now, and it totally changed how I have approached podcast conversations since this conversation with Jane. What happened in Jane's book, she said, you can't listen and take notes at the same time. You'll hear as we get this started, I took that as a challenge where I had taken copious notes during all my preceding podcast conversations from the one with Jane. And from that point forward, I put my pen down. And there've been numerous guests who have commented on the depth of conversation we had. And what they called out when we spoke about it was, the level at which I listened to them and how listening to them allowed me to take the conversation deeper or in a different direction than it would have gone otherwise. Hey, I believe that's true for you as well as it is for me and in every facet of our life that if we'll go all in on listening, we will have deeper, richer, more meaningful conversations. So, Hey, sit back, lean in, whatever you're doing, enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Jane Adshead Grant. Hey, I am so excited to welcome Jane Adshead Grant to the conversation today on the Higher Purpose Podcast. Jane and I just got started. We were going down a path and I said, hey, Jane, 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 I know I'm not supposed to interrupt, but I want to interrupt. And I'm going to say, hey, can we push record and have this part of the conversation live? so that you experience it fresh rather than us having this conversation and then attempt to replay it, recreate it for you. So I am going to suspend the way we normally start a conversation. We're going to come back to that in a few moments. 
Jane has written a book, Are You Listening or Just Waiting to Speak? So it's a conversation about listening. There was something in Jane's book that just caught my attention. But before we do it, Jane, say hello. Let's not be that abrupt and jump in with people. Say hello. Hi, Kevin, and hi to all the listeners today. Great to be with you. Yeah, so Jane, it is exciting. And, and we'll come back and kind of do the formal start in a few moments. But I ask a question. There was a question I was asking Jane before I hit record. I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to do this afterwards. There was something in Jane's book that really caught my attention. So you listening, I create some questions that I want to use as springboards for the conversation. And then I attempt to deeply listen to my guest and go from there, which often means that I'm making notes. And I'm reading Jane's book, and Jane encourages listeners to not do that. And so I just asked Jane, what do you do instead? And how would you coach me on that. And so folks, here's what's happened. I put my pen aside and I said, Jane, for today's conversation, I'm just going to dive in. So Jane, help me. Let's go through this because I interrupted you. You can say what you'd started, but how can I still make sure this is a good conversation for those listening and me listen to you fully without making notes. Because I'm a bit nervous about that. I'm thinking, you may say something that I want to follow up on, and I don't remember it. It's such a great question, Kevin. So thank you for asking. And I can imagine many listeners will be asking the same. So the reason I encourage people to refrain from note-taking is because when we are listening deeply with one another, what we're doing is we're seeking to give our attention and giving a palpable attention with respect for the individual in what they're saying and what they're thinking and where they're going next with their thoughts, rather, as my book would say, simply waiting to speak. And so the thing I was sharing with you at the beginning when we started was in answer to your question, how do I do that? How do I listen to you and not take notes? My invitation is to trust yourself. Because, Kevin, when you're listening at this deep level of giving your attention, and I say giving, not paying, because giving attention is an active skill. So when you're giving this level of attention, free of judgment, free of distraction, and free of interruption, you will allow the speaker to continue to think and speak their very best. And you'll remember the essential elements of what they've shared. Okay. Well, Jane, we're just going to conduct this experiment real time and see how it goes because frequently, no, in every podcast conversation that I have had up to this one, I'm doing my best to listen, but I'm also taking notes because there's something, you know, a guest says, and I'm like, oh, I want to go back and revisit that. And I don't trust myself, Jane. I don't trust myself to remember that. And I think, gosh, I'll get so engrossed in the conversation that I forget that. And you're saying either that's okay or I won't. Well, and I'm also saying, actually, I'd love to build on this to Please. say that there are certain 
ways of being when we want to listen deeply. And what I mean by that is when we are making the decision to listen deeply to one another, I shared with you the first thing is about giving our attention. There are other ways of being, one of which is to be at ease ourselves mm. as the listener, to free ourselves from the assumption that we may not catch it all or the assumption that I just don't trust myself. Mm. So to free our own self from that internal noise and to notice that and know that actually as individuals, as human beings, we both have the equal capacity to think for ourselves, to listen to one another, to share what we think and feel, irrespective of hierarchy, experience, position we might have. And so when we see and with one another as in a sense of equality, again, that will free us from mm. the anxiety of needing to be something that others want me to be. And finally, to have a sense of appreciation. So when we appreciate one another for the qualities that we see in each other, once more that allows us to be at a deeper connection so that our listening is connected to the individual and trust yourself to allow the conversation and navigate where it goes. Okay, so <laughs> that's what we're talking about today is this continued conversation on deep listening. So Jane and I met some months ago through the kindness and courtesy of Gary Turner that connected us and said, gosh, you two should know one another. I knew about you. I know you through Bob Chapman. So Jane, I want to just kind of start differently then, other than what we were just doing. I'm real curious. What would you like us to know about you that creates the backdrop and the context for this conversation that we're inviting people into? Mm, thank you. Kevin, I guess it's the story is how I came to this level of profound listening. I'd love to share with you briefly, which was a few years ago, a colleague of mine offered to coach me by creating an environment for me to think for myself as myself. And his work was based on the writing and teaching of Nancy Klein, the wonderful author of Time to Think. In this experience, he had no agenda, no models, no tools, no techniques. Rather, it was a way of being. And what was significant about this experience, Kevin, was that I had trained as an executive coach. And part of my training, we spent expensive amount of time on listening. And others had said to me, one of the things, Jane, I recognize in you is you're a great listener. And yet when my friend was providing this coaching session for me in this way, it struck me so profoundly because I felt like I had never been listened to in this way before. Mm. I felt that I really mattered. What I said and how I was expressing myself it was completely honoring and it was free of judgment. And the thing that was so significant was that I accomplished more in that 20 minutes with Ray than I had in the four weeks previously ruminating this issue I was grappling. Mm. It was so profound, Kevin, that I then read Nancy's book and her second book, More Time to Think. I set myself on a program to be taught by her and six years later, I was qualified as an accredited coach, trainer, and teacher of the thinking environment because this way of listening has transformed my life as a mum, as a wife, as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend, and it's transformed my business, my coaching and leadership business. Okay, so we're just going to have some fun here. I'm going to ask you something else that comes up to me real time 
and I have to contextualize it a bit, both for you and for you listening. We're recording this over Zoom. I always use Zoom for podcast conversations. Zoom does not necessarily provide the best audio experience, but it provides the best total picture, right? Because we get to see one another and interact with one another. So here's my question. You talk about the importance of eye contact in your book, but on a video call, how do you maintain eye contact? Because for me, Jane, I know where I need to look at the camera so that you sense that there's eye contact. But I also want to look at your image on my computer screen, which is a wee bit below where I would look to maintain eye contact. Now, I had no plan of asking you this, but help me and help all of us because so many of us spend so much time on Zoom and in these environments that are in real life in almost 2020 now, so much of our time, but it seems somewhat, right, virtual. So help me. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I haven't yet mastered it. I mean, I'm working progress because you're absolutely right. So right now I'm looking at the camera. So hopefully you can see my eyes engaging with you as a listener would be too. But you're right, because actually to look at your face, it's just a tad lower. So there are a couple of things. Some people have actually purchased cameras that they sit on top of the laptop or the PC such that when you look at the individual, the camera, you know, sees the other person. The other is to develop the practice of your periphery view, because actually we do have a periphery view. And so I can see you in my periphery view looking through the camera. But you'll notice that I'll also want to glance down to connect with your image. Right. And so it's work in progress. I think it's really tough to do. Um, I invite you to continue to connect at the camera every so often to let that person know that you're truly listening. Okay, so let me ask, how am I doing? Where do you sense me looking? Because I don't really have this conversation with people that often. I do have a separate camera. It is mounted a little above, but like I said, I know it's like maybe an inch or something different to when I glance down to look at you versus what I sense is where I look to make you feel there's eye contact. Kevin, for me, you're doing really well. I feel a great eye contact with you. So okay. whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> so, but isn't that interesting that when we get into these video conference environments, we do recognize the power of presence, but we also recognize their challenges to it. And anyway, I just wanted to ask because it's just so important. Hmm. And I do know there are times that you may feel like people are looking away, but they're really looking at you. And the camera just that. So maybe somebody will figure that out for all of us and get the technology in such that we can do both at the same time. Mm. Let me ask you something a bit crazy. And I was planning to ask this earlier in the conversation, but then we just kind of dove into that. What would you say to the person listening to us right now that would invite them to join us as a listener? What could they do? right now that they're listening, to be more present in our conversation, the environment that I attempt to create. And I tell people this. I mean, I want it to be like the three of us, you, me, and the listener are in the same room in a coffee shop together or a tea house. You're from London. We'd probably be in a tea house. But that <laughs> we're there together. So 
the person that's tempted to be doing something else while they're listening, they're listening to this conversation while, who knows, what could we say to them, invite them into to get more out of this conversation? I would say to give yourself the gift of this time, but I would say give your attention free from judgment, interruption and distraction and free from distraction both the internal and external so the internal means in terms of your mind oh i'm you know freeing your mind so that you can listen for yourself means not thinking about oh gosh i forgot to get the meat out of the freezer for the dinner tonight or catch yourself when your mind wanders and bring it right back to the conversation and free yourself from external distraction so if you have a phone turn it to silent you know, if you feel that people are going to walk in on you, just close the door. Sometimes people more often, I think, listen to podcasts when they're driving. Um, I know I do, and I'm very conscious of that. And so I'm conscious of, you know, giving my attention to the road and being safe as a driver, and at the same time, listening to the individual speaking. So I think it's a skill that we can master, but with practice, giving your attention to the moment. And in this moment, my invitation to our listeners would be to Give your attention free of judgment and distraction. Okay, so Jane, you've used this phrase several times already. And I love the phrase. I want to invite you to help us understand it a wee bit more. The difference between paying attention and giving attention. I mean, words are so subtle, yet the difference can be enormous. Yeah, language is essential. And I think the difference is that giving is an active verb. So we are giving our attention to when we listen to somebody, we give an attention and a palpable respect. And when we pay attention, it's slightly more passive. It's a little bit like the difference between hearing and listening. You know, hearing is passive. You may be hearing the, the buzz of an airplane going over right now, whereas I'm listening to the tone of your voice. It's an active. And so paying is more reactive and passive, whereas giving is a deliberate action that I want to give you my attention. I'm making the decision, the choice to give you my attention. Okay. And that also means, and you talked about free of distraction, free of judgment, and free of, I think there was a third one. Interruption. Interruption. Okay. Walk us through those. I think most of us kind of at least at a high level, understand distraction. But you're joining us in this deep listening challenge, which I'm extremely grateful for that we're doing right now with Oscar Tremboli, a colleague who's also in the world of helping people listen more deeply. We've talked about the difference between internal distractions, external distractions. So give us your spin or your perspective on distractions and how to best deal with them, mitigate them. Mm. So building on that, giving our attention, what I notice is that we tend to have three streams of attention at any one time. And this is a way to overcome distractions. So when we are deeply listening to someone, we'll be giving our attention to, uh, there'll be three streams. One will be attending to what they're saying and what they're not saying. Another will be giving attention to our own response. You know, how's it making us feel? We may be reacting to what someone has said. So we're noticing that. 
and we're giving our attention to the environment we're creating. As you mentioned earlier, we choose to create an environment with one another today and our listeners to show them they matter. So you've been very thoughtful in your presentation, pre preparation rather for me today in sending me the links and some thoughts about today. All of that showed me that I mattered, that you were going to be listening to me as I shared my thoughts with you today. So freeing yourself from internal distraction is to notice that you know, at any one time you're going to be giving attention at all of these three streams. And so just to catch yourself, my mind suddenly wanders. It's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to bring that back. Or if somebody, I hear a noise downstairs, it's like I heard it, but I'm straight back on, on listening to you once more. The other, the external distractions, I think Oscar mentioned these brilliantly the other day and in the listening challenge, you know, I love this one around turning off the notifications on your phone. Such a great idea. And not only will it increase your productivity, but what it does, it says to that somebody, I'm not going to be distracted by the notifications. I'd rather listen to you. And in this moment, you are more important than anything else. But perhaps if I can share with you, if it's appropriate, the piece about interruption and judgment, would that be useful? Oh, I'm sure it would. But before you do that, I want to ask something on this distraction. And I'm prone to distraction. I have done my best and do my best to eliminate the external distractions, turn off all those alerts. And my phone is in airplane mode now. Emails turned off anything, or I hope anything that will ding or ring is turned off. But then, like you said, those thoughts, they just come through. And every once in a while, it's like, wow, gosh, okay, and I am trying to come back, but how do you handle, and is it okay to say, wow, Jane, my mind drifted on you there? How do you handle that? When you've noticed you've left the conversation for a moment, do you fake it and hope to be able to fill in the gaps, which often we can, or do you just own it? Which is more natural for you, Jane? It depends what the purpose of our listening is. And so for me, it's all about the thinker and the speaker. Mm. And so it's not always important for me to understand what they're saying, but it's important for them to understand themselves. And in my listening, it's to generate them understanding more of who they are, what they want to share. And so therefore, I free myself from the need to think about what question am I going to ask next or what I might want to say next. So rather, the skill and the discipline I choose to employ is to listen to what they're saying and where they're going next, which might sound odd, how will I possibly know? But simply is to invite them to continue sharing their thoughts and ideas hmm. in where they want it to go, rather than me necessarily directing with a question that I want to know about. And so it's really, I'm encouraging people to share more of who they are, what they want to accomplish. And only if and when they if ask for my thoughts and insights, will I share that after they've had the chance to share what they think and feel. Okay, so I'm curious about this, Jane. And if we were in a live session right now and had the opportunity, I would probably pause, throw up a Mentimeter and ask people, because I'm just real curious about this. So as you're listening to this, if you're so kind, hey, send me an email, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. Let me know. I'm curious, is this how you've understood 
listening. Because it wasn't so much until I had conversations with Oscar and now with you that I started thinking, wow, listening is really for the benefit of the speaker versus the benefit of me, the listener. That is quite a profound and significant shift in even the understanding of listening that I was taught. That sounds a huge insight, Kevin. Well, <laughs> I got it from you and Oscar. <laughs> but really, isn't that because I think most of us have been taught that listening is for us to understand. Seek first to understand, not to respond, right? So that's okay. Listening is about me understanding what you're saying. But then you and Oscar go, mm, maybe it's really about helping the speaker better understand what they are seeking to articulate. Jane, to me, that is, it may be a subtle shift, but it is a significant shift in the value and purpose of listening. Mm. I love that, that you share that. And what comes up for me is to thinking about the different scenarios in which we listen. So we have our everyday conversation with our friends and our families. And we seek to, you know, in my humble view is to be a catalyst for others to share their thoughts and feelings and to be at ease with one another. And, and so, you know, we have harmonious relationships and listening in my experience provides a really strong foundation for that to happen. And then we have in my career, one could say I'm a professional listener. Um, so as a coach working with others to find their brilliance and to accomplish um, their own development of their leadership so they can grow themselves, their people and their business. And so I think about, you know, we have different mediums, modalities of listening. You have active listening that we're taught in as we begin to be coaches. We have reflective listening. We have empathetic listening which really does is one of the most profound things we can learn that shows another how much we care. So when people feel listened to in this way, they feel they know that who they are and what they do matters. And then we have generative listening, generative listening to generate the best thinking in others so that they can solve their own challenges and issues and they can tap into the inner resourcefulness that they really have. And so this is where I'm thinking around for me, listening serves others because for all of those reasons, we are supporting another step into who they were meant to be through the gift of listening. And one of the things that I've had to work with my production team, and I had an email from them just the other day. It's like, hey, there was this pause in the podcast. We think you mean to leave that. Because in the very first time I sat down with Oscar, I ended up doing that. Because, you know, in the medium, people can think, oh, I lost the connection. Like on a telephone call, there's this pause of silence. There are times I tell people, I'm still here. I'm just processing. Right? So this whole idea that silence is part of this, which wasn't what I was going to ask right then, but I just sensed that moment of silence. So this moment of silence because in your book, like others, you talk about letting silence do the heavy lifting. How did you get more comfortable with silence in your conversations? What I discovered about silence is just that, that people need time to process, to process either 
a question that we have asked them to ignite their best thinking, or some time to process the information we've just shared. And Oscar, I think, shared the phenomenal statistics around the biology of listening. And also for, you know, every 30 words I'm speaking, there are 300 thoughts in my head. And so you're only ever going to get 10% of what's actually going on. (laughs) And so giving people the opportunity to pause and hold that sacred space Mm. and not feel we need to fill it Mm. is a real gift. Because what I notice is that so much happens in the silence because of people processing those 300 thoughts that they haven't shared out loud. So I'm curious, there was another pause. I'm curious, do you alert people in their first conversation with you as a coach that there may be pauses or do you just let them experience it? Oh, that's a brilliant question because I contract really carefully with clients. Carefully, I mean, I let them know what they'll experience of me as a coach. So as a coach, I will let them know that my intention is to create an environment well, I'll be encouraging them to think for themselves as themselves and what this will feel like and what this will sound like includes those pauses because we notice that as human beings, we actually think in waves and pauses. Mm. We have a wave of thinking and then we naturally pause. And if we allow that silence for long enough, the brain itself will soar once more in a new wave. Hmm. So why are we uncomfortable with silence? Because I think as human beings, two things. One is we are wired to solve problems. And if somebody comes up to us with an issue or a problem where they want help, we are so quick to say, oh, I've experienced that before. Here's what I did. Or you could try this. Or have you thought about this? Or if I were you, I'd be doing this. And so we have this natural inclination to help others to solve an issue or a challenge. So that's one thing we have to overcome is to be able to create that space and see what I see in others, which is the gifts and talents they have within them. Sometimes they're untapped, but I know through holding this space for them to be their creative, resourceful self, including in the silence, their mind will work so strongly. Whereas if I interrupt that silence, do you know what happens? I think, but tell me. So the brain receives an interruption like an assault. And how I can describe that is, you know, when you might say, hey, Jane, okay, I've got three things I want to share with you today. One is how did you get into this topic of listening? Two is your book is kind of a sassy title. What made you think of that? And then I interrupt and say, oh, okay, so let me tell you about the book. And then I tell you and you say, oh, there was a third thing. What is it? But you see, because I interrupted, Mm-hmm. your brain has like felt that like an assault and so therefore as 
one of the greatest things we can do as a human being is resisting that urge to interrupt and allow the person to complete their thoughts, feelings, and ideas. Okay, which leads me to the natural question that I have at this point is how have you disciplined yourself to resist interrupting? Because I don't know, I'm guessing it is a discipline. I don't think that just happens. You go, oh, I'm going to stop interrupting. And you just stop interrupting. The intention is a place to start. But help us with that. Because I know people that want to not interrupt, but we do. So it comes with practice, but it's so you're right. It's the intention. But how I've developed this skill is through observation. When I observe listening to someone free of interruption, I have been privileged to witness breakthroughs, transformation, new ideas, new ways of feeling, new ways of being, because together the individual was able to generate you know, this thinking for themselves, free of interruption from me. And my observation extends to then when I see people and I see it, you know, around our family dinner table, extended family, not my immediate family, because they know this pretty well, but the extended family, you know, and one of my family members interrupts the whole time. And you just witness how cut off the person feels on the receiving end of that. It does, and they suddenly go small. Mm. So interrupting almost prevents the person flourishing for who they are about to become. Okay, so as focused as you are, as intentional as you are, do you ever interrupt now? Rarely. Okay, if you were to interrupt now, what would you do? How would you recognize him? Because I have seen what you just said. Wow. And honestly, I've seen it in conversations with people that I love when I've been the one to assault them with my interruption. How do you make that right? So I think the question was, how would I interrupt someone? And then I heard a second question was, how do I make it right if I have? Yes. Okay. So if I had to interrupt, I would want to be as graceful as possible. And so it would be, an example could be is someone is talking to me about something or asking something and they go off way on a tandem. And I might say in the pause. So when they've paused, taken for breath, I will ask, may I share an observation with you? Or I've just noticed something. Would it be helpful to share that? So I guess I come in with a permission piece to start with. If I have interrupted and I kind of inadvertently, I'm sure I do this. I'm working, I'm still mastering my craft, Kevin. And if I have, I would probably just say, hey, look, I'm really sorry for interrupting. I noticed I really interrupted. So I would, I would call it. I hope I would. I would call it. Okay. So a couple of questions, and I'm even going to ask you that. Do you give people more than one question at a time if there are a couple of questions in your mind? Or would you just give them one? 
let them answer and then hope you remember the second one because you're not making notes to jot it down that there was a second question you wanted to ask? Mm. So I would ask one question and I have no idea what the next question will be because it utterly depends on where they go with their thoughts. Because for me, it's about helping the other person share what they want to share, think what they want to think, and create new breakthroughs for themselves. And therefore, the question, I will ask one question at a time, and it will only be in the pause when they've stopped thinking out loud, when they're speaking, will I be able to determine what the best question is for them? So I never know what the next question will be. Does this apply to podcast host as well for podcast? I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah, so, so go ahead. Answer. I was going to say, it seems you've been doing it masterfully today because whilst you may have thought about some questions you wanted to ask me, actually you've completely gone with the flow of us today, picking up on what I've said and then going deeper or helping me, you know, bring out more for our listeners to share how I've done things with a hope that it might help others. Well, that's the hope. And let us know how we're doing here because I'm telling you folks, I am so far out of my comfort zone. I have not touched a pen since I put it down. And that's rare for me, Jane. Okay, so I'm going to ask you one question and then we'll see if I ask you the second question. But you talked about this encounter you had with the gentleman. Was it Ray or Roy? Ray, Ray. yeah. Okay, with Ray. At that point, you had already trained as a coach. Is that correct? Yes. So what was different after your encounter with Ray for you as a coach? Because coaches are taught to listen at some level, or I hope they are. That should be part of the coaching curriculum. What was different about Jane as a coach before that encounter and after that encounter? Mm. It was the quality of listening. And it was how do we be as a listener? So in studying with Nancy Klein, the work that we do there is to help others think for themselves as themselves, rather than becoming some sophisticated victim of dependence on what others want them to say or or feel. And the work of Being a thinking environment, a feeling environment for others is around a listening. And this is where my, I believe, my listening transformed. Hmm. And how it transformed was it is becoming a person who, for example, I already hold the belief that everyone in this world has the essence of good in them. And so they have the force for good in them. As they were born into this world, you know, they are, you know, beautiful creatures who you know, on purpose for being and bringing good into the world. And some, you know, get waylaid and may make some decisions that may lead them off track. And my hope is, you know, they come back and we contribute. And so I've already begun this way. This is already my belief of philosophy in life, that inherently we are intelligent, capable individuals with a capacity to do good in the world. So that was already there as a coach. But after my encounter with Ray, the listening that I developed was these other ways of being to really augment my listening. So this idea of being at ease myself, wow, did that take away the performance anxiety? You know, how could I show up and be the best coach? What model could I share? You know, what was the best question I could ask now? 
that completely dissipated because in my being at ease with myself as a human being, as a coach, by celebrating the diversity of each other, by recognizing the equality that we have as human beings in our capacity to think and seeing and, and appreciating the strengths and qualities in the, my clients and others enabled me to listen to what they're saying, what they're not saying, where they're going next with a curiosity and ultimately a deep love for that person, seriously. And that's what enabled some profound outcomes for my clients. Okay. So I heard you say in there something that actually allowed me to reframe the question that I had wanted to ask it. I asked you two questions at once, had I double-barreled you. And I'm going to make an honest confession here that, okay, first off, I love questions. I am a collector of questions. And I hear a question, oh, that's a great question. And there are times that I used to kind of list out, here are the questions I want to ask, not just in a podcast conversation, but in a coaching encounter. And I was in a conversation with a friend last week who teaches coaching and helps those aspiring to coach to become coaches. And there is the belief of many people early in, just like I had, there's the next best question to ask. So I need scripted or prescriptive questions. And you just talked about, well, that the next best question just appears. So did you ever have that tension early days of coaching that, oh, here are the best questions to ask, keep them handy in case I need them. I see you nodding your head. Folks listening to the audio version may not see that. So what's going on in your mind, Jane? Well, I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> so I'm waiting until you finish to listening intently. Yeah, because so true. I had that performance anxiety and What's interesting is I too study questions. I too study one of my favorite books is Warren Berger's book, um, A Beautiful Question. And questions ignite the mind. They illuminate connection for people. So I see the power of questions. And so I suppose in my work as a coach I and working with a thinking environment, we have discovered, or Nancy Klein and our continued observation has discovered there's some really innate questions that the mind will ask itself in the presence of our attention. Mm. And these are simply questions that will really generate more thinking of the individual. And so it, to me, it comes back to what's the purpose of our exchange? You know, are we wanting to generate new ideas? Do we want to make a decision? Do we want to get to know one another? And so your questions will be relative to the situation. So I guess that's how I'd love to share the impact of questions are really powerful and they are relatable to the situation scenario that you're in. So you have developed a love for questioning and understanding how questioning works and how questioning triggers the mind more so than, hey, there's one best question to ask in this scenario? Yes, and. Okay. <laughs> 
So yes, I'm fascinated by the impact of questions on the mind, because again, in working with Nancy, one of our observations is the mind seems to work best in the presence of a question. And where that shows up incredibly powerfully is, for example, one of the most common structures at work we have is meetings. And boy, do I have people complain to me about the waste of time they are and how ineffective they are and they hate being there. Often people don't have an agenda. And so if you have an agenda for a meeting, that's one way to keep in a meeting on time and scheduled and well-organized. Even more is to have the agenda items in the form of a question Mm. rather than simply having, you know, budget update, strategy for next year. The question is, what is the budget for 2020? What do we need to strategize for next year? So if you put the even agenda items, if you like, as a question, it triggers the mind before you're walking in, you're beginning to think, oh, okay, I'm going to be asked about my thoughts on what the budget needs to be for next year. So I'm fascinated in that. And in working with Nancy and our fellow collegiate members, through her 40 years of observation around how we respond to questions, then she has, and these questions I'll use regularly, what we call innate breakthrough questions that seem to work well because of the responses we have with people. And it would be what the mind would do for itself. Mm. And I can see this happening when coaching an individual. So I'll ask one question and I can see through their response and hear and feel through their response how their mind is working, the questions it's asked itself and how they will then process it and how they will then move forward for themselves. Hmm. All very interesting here, Jane. So we started this conversation with talking about note-taking and my practice of that and my experiment today to let that go. Why is note-taking a problem? Or I'm not saying it, but what is note-taking really It's multitasking, I guess. I'm not trying to bait you, but then how does multitasking become a problem for us in listening and conversation? Well, the fact is we can do it. You know, as human beings, we are able to multitask. But the trouble is when we do, our productivity, our focus, our attention reduces to that of a seven-year-old. And so we are downplaying ourselves. But the reason I pull out note-taking is because fundamentally it breaks the connection because when we are listening to one another, one of the best ways of showing that we're listening as we began to talk about beginning is our eye contact. And so as soon as I take my eyes off of your eyes, when I'm listening to you, and of course, as the speaker, the thinker, your eyes will be going everywhere because as we speak, we'll be looking up to the ceiling and thinking about something in our past or our future. We'll be looking down to the floor to connect something we've had before. So we'll be looking, but with a listener, if you hold your eyes, a soft eye gaze on the eyes of the person speaking, when they come back, boom, you're straight there. You have not left them. That is palpable. They feel it. They're like, oh my gosh, they're still with me. So with note-taking, if you have to take notes, you know, I don't want to prevent people doing what they've hung through for ages. I mean, my invitation would be to try and wean yourself off of it. But if you do, it's just to glance down and just take bullet points, which I'm sure you do, but just bullet points and then reestablish the connection. So that's essentially why I invite people to, it's about sustaining the eye contact more than anything. Well, and I think this was a line out of your book is that we really can't listen and write at the same time. So even though I say I am, I have allowed myself to think that note taking is making me a better listener. 
Note-taking is actually at war with my being a better listener. Is that a true statement? In my experience, yes. If we're writing, we're focusing on the words we're writing and we're remembering, there's no way that we're listening to what's just been said or is being said. I do know that is true. As someone that used to take a lot of notes in meetings, and then I'm trying to get, now what was the wording they had in that phrase? Because they said it so beautifully. I want to remember. I'm serious. This is what's, and then I'm like, oops, okay. I've checked out, right? Because I get in back to that, the math we're talking about, the brain processing so much faster than our mouths can speak or our ears hear. Then all of a sudden I realized I've stopped listening. And there are times, of course, though, Kevin, when you're in a learning mode, you know, so I coach coaches, you know, I mental coaches, and they will be a busy scribbling, you know, as I'm sharing stuff, they'll be like scribbling away. And that's the setup. And so I'm saying, you know, whilst we're in this learning, this laboratory and experimenting, you know, if they want to take notes, that's great. However, when we are coaching someone or when we are having a conversation because we want to let that person know you matter and I care about you, this is not the time to take notes. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So, Jane, I've got to do something for our listeners because I've created some dissonance and I've done this once before intentionally. Today, it was quasi-intentional. We just started. I've got to come back because some people are going, well, gosh, what's Jane grateful for today? I don't Mm. know what Jane's grateful for and that's dissonance. So before we wrap up, this is where I normally start the conversation, but like I say, we just tried something new today. What are you grateful for? Rather than at the beginning of the conversation, what are you grateful for of this time we've spent together or where you're at today on your journey? Mm. Well, you know, right now I'm grateful for our time together has been fabulous. And at the same time, as I was preparing for connecting with you today, I noticed, and for me, I was grateful for the beauty of nature. Today we have unexpected sunshine as and where I live. I am so grateful. Hmm. And for people that want to go deeper with you or want to read the book, where do people connect with you, Jane? What's the best way for people to connect to get more of Jane Adshead Grant Hmm. in their world? Well, my website is janeadshedgrant.com. So there's lots of resources and articles and books on there. So please do have a look there. And social media. So I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. So link in with me. I also have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook accounts and a YouTube account. So yeah, Jane Adsa Grant, Google me and you'll find me. Okay. So Jane, I've got to say something. I'm grateful for the challenge that I felt. You did not issue me the challenge. I just felt the challenge coming into this conversation as we were talking about that I was going to do this without taking notes. So thank you for that. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the connection that we shared as a result of me not taking notes. And now I'm trying to process how I do this in the future, Jane. But I'd like to do one other thing before we leave. For the person that's listening that has stayed with us throughout this conversation and might be pondering, what's the next step they take on their listening journey? I would say to see listening as a gift. You have the gift of listening and it is worth mastering because when you listen to another with empathy, it shows how much you care 
And when you listen to another to generate their best thinking, it frees them to accomplish more, to be more, to create more, to feel more courageous. And I'll often describe leadership or rather time as the currency of leadership. And I experience listening as the currency of relationship. Hmm. I'm going to ask you to say that one more time. That's tweetable. I didn't write it down, so I'm going to ask you to repeat it. Whereas time is the currency of leadership, listening is the currency of relationship. Hmm. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I will be tweeting that when we release and share this podcast. Jane, thank you so much. This has been a truly delightful conversation. Thank you that are listening to us now. We appreciate the opportunity to connect with you through you're just listening to our conversation. And we hope you are inspired to listen more deeply. Oh, and Kevin, thank you. I was going to say, may I appreciate you? May I appreciate your generosity, your commitment to serving others, and today especially for setting yourself the challenge to not take notes during our conversation and how masterfully I felt your listening and engagement with me. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you're drawn into the conversation and are wondering what this means for you. So here I am reflecting on the conversation. This is episode 117. Well, you told us that at the beginning. Why are you saying that again? Well, it's a first for me. It's the first time I've not held a pen in my hand and taken notes during the conversation. Instead, I went all into the conversation and just trusted that what I needed to remember, I would remember rather than distracting myself in the conversation to make notes. So for me, that's the first takeaway, is to just listen and trust myself and follow the flow and believe that I'd be able to recall what's important. My question to you is, what would it take for you to trust yourself to the conversation? Maybe it's not an issue. Maybe you already do. Second takeaway is the richness of the connection that we shared. As Jane says, that that, that kind of connection is palpable. And I love that it came with no agenda attached. There was never a moment where I sensed any agenda from Jane other than just following the flow of the conversation. Now, you may have no idea how many people pitch me to join this show. And most of them that pitch me to join this show want to pitch you or promote something to you. So I say, no, thanks. Here's a third takeaway from the conversation. This idea, and whoa, this is a radical idea for me, and it actually caused me some pain in this, that this idea that interrupting is an assault. And what was painful is the awareness that I have assaulted people, people that I dearly love more often than strangers or business people, business colleagues, people that I dearly love, and I shut them down by my inability to extend courtesy and grace of not interrupting. That's an area I am going to continue to work on. So as we wrap this up, I want to ask you the thing that Jane said there at the end. What would it take for you to give someone the gift of your presence, attention, and listening today? 
Will you join me in that? That's something I want to do is begin more extending this gift, not paying attention, giving the gift of your attention. And then there's one final line I love from Jane that you will see tweeted. Time is the currency of leadership. Listening is the currency of relationship. Hey, a couple of times I've asked you to let me know what you think today. So you can do that by emailing me at Kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com or just call or text me at 678. And that's a plus one if you're from outside the state, 678-744-5111. Hey, until we connect again, and I hope it's soon when we do, I invite you to live, love, and lead with purpose. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.